Everyone, everywhere, no matter what continent you're on, loves to receive gifts. It's just kind of hardwired into us. Anyone here like to receive gifts? 15 of you, perfect. Okay, so uh, hold your hand up real high because the other people who didn't raise their hand I think want to bring you something next week. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe that's what they're thinking. But, you know, the reality is we're kind of all wired in a way to want to receive gifts and yet sometimes in the Christmas season or other seasons it can get to that spot where you're kind of triggered a little bit uh, where you're like, oh, you got me a gift and I didn't get you anything. Anyone ever felt that awkward tension in that moment? You're like, well, what do I do with that? Uh, I mean, it starts, it's not just around Christmas stuff, but it, it's, um, it's kind of like when you go out to lunch with someone and no one like said, hey, I want to take you to lunch, and so you're both there, and someone just grabs the check, and the other person's like, almost instinctively, you're kind of like, well, hey, I'll get that, or I'll get the tip, because that's cheaper, uh, or you know, like just... Or I'll get the next one. We'll go to Taco Bell. Um, just, you know, whatever that may be for you. And, and you kind of think that way. Christmas is obviously one of those big ones where someone gives you a gift and, and like, you don't have one for them. And, and what do you do in that moment? You lie. And you say, hey, I haven't wrapped yours yet because I haven't gone to the store and got it. Um, but I will right after I open yours to make sure I don't undergive or overgive what you're giving me. Anyone else ever navigated this tension before, right? And so can we just give each other permission this year to be like, just respond like this, like, hey, <laughs> you got me a present. Whoa, Merry Christmas to me. I didn't get you anything seems awkward, right? It seems like that, that's not the best way to respond. And so we have this tension that we have to navigate and we have to go through. And, and I think the, the kind of the core of the bottom of it is, in a lot of ways, we like to be self, uh, have self-reliance. And we don't want to owe anybody anything or be owned by anyone. We want to participate. We want to do our fair share. I want to do my part. I want to stand on my own two feet. I long to be self-reliant, able to do it on my own, that I'm not dependent upon someone or looking for handouts. And the, the honesty is, like, the healthy side of self-reliance is an important thing. Like, that's every parenting journey, right? Trying to raise your kids that they would be self-reliant, they would be responsible, they would be dependable, they would be able to take care of themselves and stand on their own two feet. Yet we live in a culture that in so many ways, kind of promote self-reliance beyond a healthy sense and into an unhealthy reality. When we become staunch about it and unwavering in our opinion about us trying to do everything on our own, if I don't need anything from anyone at any time, then friend, you may be on the unhealthy side of self-reliance. Well, why? Well, because of how you were created and how I was created. We were created to be in relationship with God, to need him, to want him, to seek him out, to, to need one another, to be in relationship one to another. That's the healthy side of living. If we never get there, if we try to live with this kind of, in the West, this idolization of self-reliance, and I don't need anybody, I don't need anything, and I don't need, I don't need it. I'm good on my own. And, and in some ways, on the healthy dose of that, it's good. But when it begins to tip toward the unhealthy side, 
and, and it becomes a root of your life, then friend, that really only leads to isolation and even self-neglect and, and to missing out on what you were designed to have and what you were designed to be and, and how you were created. And so we miss on those things and so much of that. And if we live on that, then it almost, if we adopt that mentality, it begins to kind of weave its way into our faith journey. And we could take self-reliance to the place where it begins to affect your faith, that if we're not careful, if we begin to create a religious culture where we want kind of a faith trade, if you will. God, I know you did a bunch for me, and that's awesome, and I'm grateful for it. Now I'm going to do a bunch for you because I want this to be a fair trade. I want to stand on my own two feet. I want to contribute. I want to do my part. I want to bring something to the table. I know what you brought to the table is a pretty big deal, and I probably can't get there, but I want to prove to you that you bringing me into your family, you bringing me into the family of faith, that I was worth your pick. And so we begin to almost live in a self-reliance and kind of push back and say, God, uh, I want you to have kind of this faith trade with me, kind of this gift exchange, if you will. Okay, you brought that, I'll get the tip. Um, I, I maybe can't do the whole check, but at least let me do this. And it's almost always out of a kind of self-obligation. Um, it's never out of joy. And that's where it gets tricky. That's where it begins to, to kind of tip toward unhealth. And it begins affecting our, our spiritual journey because it becomes all about this religious pursuit and treadmill instead of this beautiful relationship that we're invited into, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And, and when we lean toward this idea of living out of obligation, and I've got to bring my fair exchange and my gift to this exchange, then then your spiritual journey can get sideways real fast. And you can become stuck emotionally. It begins to drift and fade into, and we can settle in and think that God views us through our actions and through our performance. Because so much of the life around us is through that. Now, that, again, that's not totally bad, but you, you can see where it's a slippery slope relationally with this. And if I'm starting to view God that he views me through my performance, then that can actually get you to pretty dangerous places pretty fast. And the beauty of Christmas is that God interrupted history and said, I'm up to something radically different. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what you do. I'm jumping into history and I'm, I'm bringing something to culmination in a way that says, this is me acting. I thought it up. I'm put it together, I'm bringing it to fruition, and I'm gonna carry it all the way through. This is me doing something for you, and you're the beneficiary of that. Last week we looked at this idea that the gift of Christmas is the gift of good news, that God showed up, he came. That's the beauty of Christmas. He didn't just blow us off or walk away or ignore us. He actually brought good news, not bad news. You don't have to live in fear of him. We live with a healthy respect of God, but we don't have to live afraid of God. That's the beauty of Christmas, is that he's Emmanuel. He has come to be with. He is for you, not against you. And so the invitation is we can live with good news. And it's good news because it wasn't just like a PDF email file of, like, here's the 15 things that you need to do in order to be right with me. And so just kind of follow those 15 things, and we'll see you in heaven someday. That's not Christmas. 
Christmas wasn't just this, you know, kind of list of things posted to a door and you got to figure it out. Christmas was God came himself and he came as a rescuer. He came as one who would bring a rescue. He would bring help to us. Remember, this is the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. You can open up the app, go down to sermon notes and kind of follow along there. But we kind of kind of sank in this last week. We'll kind of come back to it here. Verse 9 through 10, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is, again, the shepherds. They're out in the field, kind of looking at the starry nights, and all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Remember the word in Greek, the word shone is kind of like this bright light that kind of knocks you to the ground. Powerful presence shows up. It's one angel, and they're knocked off their feet, and they are terrified. And in that moment, the angel says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because this is good news. He's getting ready to say, this is good news. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great heartache for the world. Is that what he said? No, that's not the Christmas story. I bring you good news that will cause trouble for everybody. Is that what he said? No, I bring you great news that will cause great joy for everyone. God was up to something in history. He took the initiative And he brought something that has absolutely nothing dependent upon you or upon me. He stepped into history and said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. And then verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this royal terminology given about this baby and who he is. And he is way more than you think he is. He's way more than just a little infant. He is so much more. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. That's incredible. Circle that. That word defines our relationship with God. You know what God didn't give us? A lawyer. Thank goodness. Sorry, lawyer joke. Um, God didn't give us a, a good assistant. God didn't give you a mentor. He didn't give you a coach. He didn't give you someone with deep pockets that would just be a friend in the background of life. He didn't give you someone just to give you advice or a counselor. He gave you a savior. And the beauty of that is that is what we needed. Now, you may be coming to church, and maybe this is your first time back in church, and I just, man, I got to tell you how proud I am of you coming. I know it takes guts to come into a new place, and I was so proud of you for owning your spiritual journey and wanting to learn a little bit more about that, and we hope to be a place where people can investigate Jesus, investigate spiritual things, and ask questions along the way and learn to be open to this, because the beauty of the Christmas message is that we were given what we needed, not necessarily what we wanted. We were given what we needed because our, our condition was worse than we thought it was. It wasn't that we just needed a counselor or a coach to come alongside and motivate us. We needed a savior. Twice in the gospel message, uh, we see this word savior titled. Once here where the angel is reading it. John chapter 4, we see it again when uh, John, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with uh, the woman at the well. And she goes and tells the whole town about who she has met. And they come and they meet Jesus and have a conversation. And they make a statement that surely he is the savior of the world. 
He's Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. In the Old Testament, the word for Savior is deliverer. That you are given this deliverer. You are, we are seeing the Savior and anointed one. At the end of the day, the angel is very, very clear about who this is. This is the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah. This is the one that the story of Israel has been looking for. And here he is. He's the Savior. He's the one who's come to rescue his people and to redeem them. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Have you ever experienced a saving, life-saving moment? I know for, uh, I have quite a few friends who are first responders. And so as a first responder, you see a lot of life, don't you? You see a lot of, a lot of death too. And in a lot of ways, I've heard stories from first responders who talk about just being able to bring life into a situation that was maybe escaping that moment and to be able to respond to that. Have you ever experienced a saving moment for you where you needed saving and you got it? I remember um, when Taylor, my oldest, was about two and a half. We, uh, we had this community pool where we lived, right? And so we went there, we walked from our house to this community pool, you know, not that far away, and, and we had the swimmies, the floaties, whatever you want to call them, and we had those things, and like, we had, we had done everything to prepare, we had walked there, and we were swimming and having a great time, and every parent knows this situation, because we got there, we were in the pool for like 90 seconds, having fun for 90 seconds, and then, Daddy, I gotta go to the bathroom. You're like, oh, we did that at home. And like, just, okay. And so then you got to get out of the pool. You got to dry everybody off and get the floaties off. And you go to the restroom type thing. And I remember uh, we were the only ones there. And I had propped the door open. And, and I said to Taylor, I was leaving. I was kind of washing my hands. And I said, do not go near the pool. And I'm drying my hands. And I hear a splash in the pool. And for about 10 seconds, passed and it felt like an hour but in those 10 seconds I'm running through my brain did someone else come to the pool we were the only ones when we walked in here and so I go running out of and trying not to fall in the cool deck and I run up to the edge of the pool and I see my son underwater past the last step and his eyes are as big as saucers looking at me and you know what I did I got down in a crouch and I said to him hey I'm going to coach you through this, okay? Here's what you got to do. You got to start kicking. Yeah, legs. You got to start kicking. Do this, okay? You got to work your way up to the surface and to the steps, and you can begin to crawl out. Is that what I did? No, because he wouldn't be here. What I did is what every good parent does. In that moment, you recognize the need, and you jump in, and you save them. And then for 10 minutes, you hold on to the edge of the pool while your heart tries not to beat out of your chest, and you figure out, do I tell mom about this? I think we waited a day or two. I don't, I'm just buying time. I'm just trying to think through. My world was underwater. And I did exactly what you would do. Everything in me jumped to action. 
and I would do it again and again and again. It's an instinct. It's what you do. Now listen, you didn't need a life coach. You and I didn't need a mentor. We didn't need someone to to coach us in life. What we needed was a rescue. And into that moment, God says, I got what you need. And I'm sending what you need. It may not be what you want. In fact, some of you may push back against it because you don't want it. But I'm giving you what you need. And into that moment, Christmas comes. And that's what we lean into and begin to understand that it's his strategy that's bringing us into relationship. You know what God's strategy is? It's his kindness. God is a savior. That word defines our relationship with him. He is a savior at the very core of who he is. You know what he isn't? He isn't a scarer. He's a savior. It's what he does. It's who he is. And it's his kindness, Paul writes in Romans, that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that says, I want to rescue you. I want to save you. I want to bring you into relationship with me. Romans 2, 4 says this, Do you show contempt to the riches of his kindness, forbearance in his patience, and realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's not trying to scare you there. He's trying to lead you with his kindness. And one of the first steps to embracing and experiencing the beauty and the joy of Christmas is recognizing that you need a Savior. Now, I know for some of you, maybe you're coming back to faith or investigating faith, and at the core of that message, you're like, I don't, I don't know. That's okay. I'd love for you to wrestle with that. I'd love for you to ask questions about that. In fact, you, you may agree with this. Ted Turner, uh, kind of with Time Warner, right? A very rich guy and does a lot, actually does a lot of good in the world around. They were interviewing him in a USA Today article, and, and he was talking about his life and why he does some of the good that he does and, and what motivates him in life. And this is what he said. You know, I'm not looking for any big rewards. I'm not a religious person. I believe this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Almost every religion talks about a savior coming. When you look in the mirror in the morning, when you're putting on your lipstick and when you're shaving, you are looking at the savior. No one else is going to save you but yourself. And maybe you sit here and go, I I kind of agree with that. I would whisper to Ted, Ted, man, you are self-reliant and you've done amazing things, but I wonder if maybe you've gone from the healthy side of self-reliance to the unhealthy side. Because I think at the end of the day, that works really, really well for people who have a lot, for people who have it together, for people who have maybe a taste of the good life, quote-unquote, for a season. But I've watched too many people live with that kind of take on life until their fortune fades, their relationships crumble, 
the life they know is in pieces around them. And in that moment, they have an awakening. Maybe, maybe it's not what I want, but maybe it is what I actually need. Maybe there's something here. And I bet for you, if we could just have coffee in a coffee shop and, and you could tell your story, maybe you've come to that place where you said, man, I needed rescue. I needed a saving. I didn't just need self-help. I didn't need just a, a coaching moment to get me over a hump. I might need that from time to time, but I needed something so much more than just my own effort, my own self-reliance in that. The Christmas stories that God gave us, maybe not what we wanted, but he provided everything that we needed. And all of a sudden in life, for a lot of people, they have a realization, a wake-up call, that I don't just need a little help. I don't just need a second chance. I need a savior. I need a rescue. Maybe how many of you be willing to admit to yourself that you might have some habits and some, some situations in life that you still need rescue in? that you still need saving from. Some of you have anger issues or addiction issues or thought life issues or struggles in life and in situations that are kind of daunting over top of you. And what you don't need is just more advice. What you need is a rescue. And maybe you're willing to admit that, that every time I look in the mirror, uh, I have a birthday this week. You know what I'm noticing? I don't know if you all notice this or two. I'm getting older. Do you guys notice this when you look in the mirror? That, I, that my life has a shelf life to it. And it seems like the shelf life's getting shorter. I don't like that. Maybe you don't like that. And so people search for a lot of things. But it's in those moments when we realize, I don't need like, self-help or a different cream or like, just you know, this kind of, I need saving because I'm deteriorating. Like, I need a rescue, something that's bigger than just what I can create. Rick Warren said this, you don't need a savior because you might die tonight. You need a savior because you gotta live tomorrow. We need continual saving. I can't save myself. If I can't save myself from the issues I face today, what in the world thinks me that I'm gonna save myself for eternity? If I can't fix my marriage, if I can't fix my kids, if I can't fix my situation, if I can't solve the things that I'm struggling with on my own and my own self-reliance, then what, what makes me think that I, I could get eternity right? And so the struggle is, hey, the beautiful message of Christmas is that it's a liberating message. The relationship between the saved and the Savior, the rescued and the rescuer, the delivered and the deliverer creates a relationship unlike any other. Do you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? It opens in the scene where he's at the cemetery of one of his friends, and he's thinking back, this is Private Ryan, thinking back over his life of how all these people came on a mission to save him after all his brothers had passed on the battlefield. And he says to his wife, have I lived a life worth it? That's the question at the end of the movie. Why? Because he had this unsolicited emotion and devotion to the people who risked everything for him. 
And he's living with this idea this, uh, of saying, I want to, not out of obligation, not because I'm trying to earn something, but because I've been given such an incredible gift. And I want to live worthy of that gift. I want to pursue just kind of giving back because I get to, not because I have to. And it's this beautiful relationship that we see. And the reality is that is what is called for us, that I needed a savior. And Jesus has done way more for me than to offer me good advice or some coaching through a jam or encouragement in a down moment of life. He has rescued me and given me something I could never get on my own. That's the beauty of Christmas because today in the town of David, a savior has been born. And I needed him. And maybe you sit here and you recognize that you needed him. But can I just remind you that we still need him. He rescued us for eternity. Yes, that's true and that's awesome. But I need his rescue on Monday. I need his rescue on Thursday. And next month and next year, I need it every day of the year. Because I know myself and maybe you know yourself as well. And we don't just need someone who rescued us one time, we need someone who rescues us continually. Here's the thought that I had. Whatever you are willing to lay at the feet of your savior, he is willing to save. Whatever you're willing to lay at the feet of your savior, he is willing and able and powerful enough to save. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, Saving is what he does best. It's who he is. It's how he's wired. That's why sometimes uh, we'll be singing worship songs and you'll see people with tears in their eyes. You know what they're not doing? They're not crying out of obligation. They're not crying trying to force a sense of devotion to God. They are teared up because they remember They're being renewed. They're being refreshed in that moment. Why? Because God's still a savior. Jesus still saves. And they recognize what the psalmist recognized. You brought me out of a pit. Some of us still remember the pit. And and Jesus calls us out of that. He brings us up because he's a savior. And that is what I needed. It's what you need. Now, for some of you, You may push back against that, but that's okay. But I just beg of you, think about it. Investigate this. Have you ever come to a place in your own life where you recognized it wasn't just about your self-reliance and that you weren't enough in the moment that you needed it to be? And what if the beauty of Christmas is actually true? What if there is a Savior who can save you and wants to continually save you. The the beautiful part of this is Jesus is a gentleman. He will never force himself against anybody. He doesn't force his way into relationship. He waits to be invited. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I'm not bringing you bad news. I'm bringing you good news, and here's the good news. God didn't give you a PDF email of here's how to figure out the spiritual life. Go do it. Figure it out on your own. He gave you himself, and himself is a savior for all of mankind, including you. And maybe you sit here, and you've never really said yes to that. 
then friend, I just want to invite you to think about it, to pray about it, to ask him about it. Is it time that you've been self-reliant long enough to realize I don't have enough to make it to a perfect and holy God. I don't have enough to get my life right even. And I need some help, I need some rescue, I need some saving. And maybe you'd be willing to admit even today, maybe as a follower of Jesus, man, I, I need more rescue. I need more saving. I need more of God's activity in my life. And so here's how I wanna close. It's just a little different than we normally do. I just wanna invite you to close your eyes right where you're at. And, and just trust me. And just between you and God, if you're here and you've never really said yes to Jesus and you're, you're sensing, man, I'm tired of living life my own. I have tried so hard to carve it out and to build it up and do it, everything on my own. I've been self-reliant and you're tired. And it's not gotten you where you want to go. And you'd be willing to say, Jesus, I, I may not know everything about you, but to the best I know, I want to say yes to you. If that's you, just raise your hand. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. Maybe you sit here and you're recognizing in the moment that, man, I've got some stuff in my life that I have been trying to carve out. I've been trying to build up. I've been trying to get over. I've been trying to solve on my own. And you be willing to admit even right now, God, I need your rescue again. Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you, that, that you need his rescue again in a fresh and new way, in a way that says, I'm with you and I'm for you, I'm not against you. And so, Father, this is so simple, and it's a call for us to trust you, to trust that you actually know best because you know what we need the most. Father, forgive us for wanting to trade and borrow and barter in our relationship with you to try to have this weird kind of faith um, exchange or this gift exchange where, okay, we recognize what you did, but now we want to try to earn it. God, forgive us for that. Would you help us to let you be who you are, a savior? Father, would you uh, be with the people who have raised their hand tonight? Uh, I just pray your blessing over them, that you would, uh, they are admitting that they need some saving, some rescue. And so, Father, would you send your rescue again, afresh and anew? Would you encourage their heart? Would you renew the activity of your presence and your power in their life, that you are the great shepherd, you are the advocate, you are for them, not against them? Would you heal their hearts? their wounds? Would you bring health and renewal to them mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically? Comfort them. Would you whisper your hope to them again? And would you come in power to rescue? Jesus, we need you. Thank you for coming as a savior. Thanks for not just giving us a self-help email or some philosophy to adhere to, but you came to rescue us. You are Emmanuel. We are forever grateful for you. And so as we pause to remember your life and your death and your resurrection and communion, would you help us to bring those things that we need rescue from, that we need saving from, or we need saving to or rescue to something better than what we've got? We invite you, Holy Spirit,
to move our hearts, refresh our soul. As we sing to you, as we worship you, today in the town of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One. To him we pray, to him we ask, to him we worship.